836. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. No, we're not going to open up the phone lines on straws versus no straws. I'm just I'm just saying that there's, I mean, there are, I, I know I know people who just like to drink their sodas out of straws. And so we do not need to mock the straw crowd. We just do not. It's right. It, right. And again, it depends on, right, it depends on the situation. You obviously like milkshakes. You drink with straws, right? I mean, but some people like to drink sodas with straws as well. All right, we start off today's program like we start off all programs. Three big things, stuff that I think you need to talk note about to talk about at the water cooler, at the coffee closet, or at lunch or at the gym. Big story number one, a federal judge in Hawaii. And then later on in the middle of the night last night, a second federal judge. And the closest thing we have in this country to kings and queens are federal judges. They are appointed for life, they get to stay on the bench regardless of how good they are, how hard they work, and uh, some. And with them, like I've always said, the law is an art; it is not a science. They bring their various biases with them. A federal judge in Hawaii yesterday issued a nationwide injunction, a freeze on Donald Trump's new executive order, hours before it was supposed to go into effect. You're probably aware, and you will remember that. Several weeks ago, President Trump issued an order which barred temporarily immigration from seven countries. Now, the order at the time generated all sorts of concerns, in part because it was done without consideration for certain things like, all right, what about people who are already in this country? What about people from one of the seven affected countries that have green cards or have visas? And as I have explained in the past, that invited all sorts of legal challenges because it, even if you are a foreign national, once you receive a green card or once you receive a visa, you have certain due process rights under the law. And the real basis for the litigation and the court orders that followed was the fact that the order originally did not account for the people that have green cards or visas. And so the concern was, hey, they, you're taking their due process rights away from them. The new order that was issued two weeks ago takes that into account and addresses what are largely the concerns that the courts had raised. So this goes in front of, okay, so Trump comes out with the, the new order. It's six countries. It is not seven. The countries are uh, in of origin, they are primarily majority Muslim countries. But there's all sorts of majority Muslim countries in the world that are not subject to the ban. These six countries are identified because in many cases the governments are nothing more than regimes and the temporary ban is put into place to make sure that we have sufficient vetting in order to you know deal with the people that are coming in from these various regimes. So you have a federal judge in Hawaii yesterday who decides to issue a nationwide injunction. And essentially, in his opinion, he says, even though that you have dealt with the due process concerns and things like that, I believe that this order is meant to discriminate against Muslims and that the rights of Muslims who apparently live outside the the country, non-citizens, they are being discriminated against. So he declares that a reasonable objective observer 
enlightened by the specific historical context, contemporaneous statements, and specific sequence of events leading to the issuance of this order, would conclude that the executive order was issued with a purpose to disfavor a particular religion. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a much different basis for throwing out the order than was previously that previous courts found. The due process concerns have been largely addressed, but this judge is saying, nope, this is discriminating against Muslims, even though people from other majority Muslim countries are, are not subject to this. It's just the six countries that are identified. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us tee this one up. Is the judge going too far? Does this order make sense? Is Donald Trump correct when he lashes out last night talking about judicial overreach by a federal judge with what appears to be an agenda? 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In my opinion, the decision by this federal judge in Hawaii to issue a nationwide ban stopping the latest immigration order from the Trump administration is a gross judicial overreach and a ridiculous decision. The argument that, well, if you want to limit immigration temporarily from certain countries that happen to be majority Muslim, that means that you are discriminating against a particular religion. Now, of course, there's a number of other countries that are predominantly Muslim as well that the ban doesn't apply to. So how do you justify this? 414-799-1620. I understand why President Trump in this case is extremely frustrated with, again, a couple of these, well, Federal judges who decide that they think that they know more about national security than the president does. Tony in New Berlin. Tony, you're first. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, well, Senator Carlson, I don't think it doesn't matter what Trump does. It doesn't matter how much he puts kid gloves on and is so gentle with this. The left is going to find a judge that is going to do exactly what just happened. It does not matter what happens. I, I guarantee you, even if Trump has a full ban, no immigration from any country, they'll yeah. say, well, we're discriminating against everybody. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, it it, it is, and, and that's, look, I, thanks for, I mean, look, I, I understand. The problem, the problem with the original ban was that it was done, in my opinion, in a ham-handed fashion that did not take into account the rights of, the, the due process rights of foreign nationals who had already been, admitted into this country on temporary visas or whatever, and and that was a problem. It was crazy to me that somebody in the Trump administration did not realize that in the beginning and didn't raise a hand and say, hey, what are we going to do about that? This new order does not suffer from any of those problems, and I think it is ludicrous that we now have a federal judge who would say, well, all right, you as the president do not have the authority um, despite the fact that this has been exercised in the past by many authorities, you, you, by many former presidents, you do not have the authority to impose a temporary ban on immigration from certain countries simply because those countries ha- are majority Muslim. That means that you are discriminating. Well, okay, good for this Hawaii judge, and he better hope that over the course of the time that this this order is in place, and this is one, just like I thought, when Trump came out with the first order, just like I was not surprised that you had, for example, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals that, that tossed it out, 
I don't think this one is going to stand judicial review. This is the one that the president, I think, wants to take through the appellate courts and wants to take up to the Supreme Court because this is one that he's going to win on. But I'll tell you something. This judge in Hawaii better hope that there's not somebody from one of these countries who comes in while this order is in place and ends up doing something that costs American lives because in that case, there will, in fact, be blood on his hands. Big thing number one, the travel ban now on hold once again. I think the judge that did this completely out of line, and I expect this one will be overturned on appeal. Big story number two. I mentioned this briefly yesterday, and I received a number of emails. Um, we we got, of course, whumped with a, a snowstorm over you know earlier part of this week, and um, the snow is still now starting to gradually melt. That snowstorm moved east. And if you were following the news, you, you might have noticed the various predictions that the Weather Service was making for certain areas, highly populated areas like Washington, D.C. and New York City. The forecasts for New York City were somewhere in the neighborhood of a foot and a half to two feet of snow and similarly large projections for D.C. So they were saying to everybody, you you got to watch out. You're going to get really hit by this. This is going to be an epic storm. This might be one for the ages. Prepare, prepare, take cover, all those type of things. It did not turn out to be that way. The, the storm changed in its nature. And what happened was the, the snow bands moved further north. So, I mean, there's parts of the northeast that still really got whomped. But New York City, New York City got like six inches. Washington, D.C. got a dusting. And part of the reason for that was that the, the, compo- the there was more precipitation that, that came down as, as water. So there was more rain mixed in. So, I mean, they, they got six inches. And six inches of snow is a big deal. But it's not a foot and a half to two feet. All right, here's what is coming out now. The National Weather Service knowingly and intentionally lied. And that's maybe that's a harsh word, but they knowing and intentionally lied in their forecasts because they didn't trust people to be able to process the information. Here's an editorial in the New York Post. Looks like uh, nanny ninnies are running the National Weather Service and they're too timid to live level with the public. Up to a foot and a half of the white fluffy stuff would fall on the city on Tuesday. National Weather Service officials warned before the storm. Yet when they got later reports on Monday predicting markedly less snowfall, they decided to go with the original forecast anyway. And the accumulations turned out to be, again, substantially lower. Still, they got a bunch of snow, but they didn't get a foot and a half to two feet. Out of extreme caution, we decided to stick with the higher amounts, said the Weather Prediction Center's Greg Carbon, meaning meteorologists don't trust the public to decide for themselves. He's proud of it, too. He says, I actually think the actions taken in advance of the event were exceptional. Um, And, of course, by exceptional, it means that they they canceled shops closed. They canceled all sorts of public transportation, all those different situations. Um, And what the National Weather Service says is, well, we're concerned that if we downgraded the forecast to what we actually believed it would be, People wouldn't take it seriously. People would not know how to process the information. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
That's the National Weather Service's excuse. We knew the forecast had changed. We decided not to change our forecast because we did not trust the people to be able to process the information. And we think if we told them it was really only be six inches instead of one foot, one and a half um, feet of snow, we think that they might have, I don't know, gone out and gone about their business. But by telling them that it was only go- it was going to be a foot and a half, we made it, we public transportation stopped, shops closed. And, you know, we ended up saving lives because people could not be trusted to do deal with the original and the honest forecast. 414-799-1620. Here's my question. Is this responsible of the National Weather Service? And part of the problem is you talk to, like, local meteorologists, and even though they might have different opinions, they take a lot of their – it's tough to buck the National Weather Service. So now you have the National Weather Service saying, yes, we knowingly intentionally knew the forecast had changed, but we decided not to change our forecast because we didn't trust people to be able to process the information. What do you think about that? Do you Was this responsible? Or do you want to be told what really is going – you do want the latest information so you can decide, or do you want bureaucrats trying to protect you – by lying to you so that you, I don't know, uh, don't do anything that might hurt yourself. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Ted and Appleton. Ted, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Oh, I think they did their absolutely right thing. By I'm lying no, by lying to I'm, people about the forecast. They didn't lie. They, they did. didn't lie. They did. No, they, listen, they they just, knew just, they did, they yeah, lied. Yeah, they they just, they, they predicted two feet. They knew it was going to be six inches, and they didn't change the forecast. How is that not well, a lie? Jeff, I'm a snow and ice control specialist. Yeah, I know how fast this weather can change to the worst without any notification. And the weather doesn't tell you how it's going to react as it's coming down. Okay, it so been, it, so no 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 Ted 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 you're out no Ted 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 Ted. So you're a snow and ice expert. So does that mean tonight there's a forecast for just a little bit of mixed snow? Should we tell everybody that there's a foot of snow coming because they won't know how to process the truth? This was a nor'easter. Those people out there on the East Coast obviously don't know how to drive. They don't get as much snow as we do per time. Okay, so we don't trust them to tell them it's going to be six inches instead of two feet. No, it was a northeastern. But but that's not what Ted. Okay, you're, Ted. I guess your attitude is: if you're on the East Coast, you're too stupid to process information. Here here is the point: they didn't lie. Yes, they did. They look. They predicted two feet or a foot and a half on Monday. They knew it was going to be different. They could have said and adjusted their forecast and said it's going to be six inches. They decided we're not going to tell the people the truth. We're not going to change our forecast because if we say it's a foot and a half, gee, businesses might not close down. Well, okay, I mean, this is the boy who cried wolf. How can you believe now anything they tell you in this situation? Let's talk to, uh, let's see, John on the west side. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, yeah, he did lie. And, Jim, I think this can work for the good to maybe awaken the Weather Bureau and the general public to the constant fear-mongering that is put off for just a, two feet of snow is a bunch. But right. But I mean, around but there's here, a difference the between two feet of snow and six inches of snow. And if the forecast is we now think it's six inches, but we we don't know we don't trust people to process it. 
know, just just tell me what it's going to do and let me decide. Every snowstorm is treated like Armageddon. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just it win, it's winter. It snows. Well, I mean, it, well, it, well, see, and 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 I guess here's part of the thing. If I'm a business person, all right, you, you get a two, you get a. I mean, look, and I, I talk to lots of people who run stores and restaurants and things like that. And one of the things that they always you know, when you get these forecasts of snow, for example, it kills their business. All right. So, and, and look, and I understand meteorologists make mistakes. This is not what this story is. This is not a story of a bust forecast where you predict a foot and a half of snow and it turns out to be six inches. You just kind of got it wrong. They knew their forecast models changed on Monday afternoon. They knew what it was going to be. And they made the conscious decision not to change the forecast because they did not think people could process it. And there's a heck of a lot of difference between how you deal with six inches of snow, which is still a lot of snow, versus how you deal with a foot and a half of snow. 908, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. So, Jane, if you thought maybe our conversation about straws versus no straws a few minutes ago was silly. Yes. Okay. In, in corner of my eye, we've got, we've got the morning blend on on Channel 4, and they, they do the sound off questions they ask every day. The question for this morning is, do you sleep naked? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah. okay. So if you want to share that with the morning blend, they're, <laughs> they're taking your calls now. They're, 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 they're wondering. I, I think the way that sound off line works is that you can not only just say yes or no, but you can, you know, you can, you can embellish if you want Elaborate, to. Elaborate. Feel free. Uh, I, I think Ms. Matinair and I are going to choose not to answer that one, right? Yes. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Right. I'm with you on that. I'm, yes. We're just going to kind of let that one go. All right. Just a couple. I, I, our text line, and we, we've had this in a working for about a week and a half now, um, our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. So you can call the program. You can also participate via text. Just exploded on our big thing number two story about the uh, the National Weather Service lying. And, and I, I feel comfortable using that word. Our first caller in Appleton said, no, I, I, I take an issue, issue with that. Well, no, they had forecast, the original forecast for this was for a major blizzard to hit New York, Washington, D.C., the Boston area. On Monday, and the forecast was for Tuesday, they were predicting a foot and a half to two feet of snow, which is a big deal. On Monday afternoon, their computer models changed. The forecasters came to the conclusion that this was not going to be two feet of snow, rather it was going to be six inches of snow. And they made the decision not to change their forecast, to continue putting out the foot and a half to two feet of snow forecast. That, to me, is lying. It's not getting it wrong. Their forecast changed, but the reason, and they make no bones about it. They said, well, we we call this the windshield wiper effect, that if we change the forecast... Well, then, you know, people might not take the storm seriously, and six inches is still a serious storm. Well, all right, I, I, my point is trust people. Uh, you trust people to process the information correctly. And if the latest computer models say six inches, but it's a nor'easter and, you know, things could change, just keep people updated. Let me just share with some of the text. Um, let's see, Penny in Germantown. I was in Boston this week on business. I and my colleagues lost a full day of meetings, FaceTime, etc., because they shut the trains down, closed offices, and repeatedly warned people to stay off the roads. 18 to 24 inches of snow turned into 5 or to 6 and some rain. Your first caller has obviously never been in the Northeast since most people use the train or other public transportation to get into the city um, for work. Bob in Madison texts, very irresponsible and very costly for many. I was scheduled to attend a meeting in New York City with people from 15 different states across the U.S. 
Due to the extreme forecast not being changed, the meeting was canceled at the last minute as the meeting organizer trusted the weather service. Everybody had to scramble. Some were already en route. Many were canceled and had to eat ticket costs. A lot of extra work for nothing. We are adults. We can handle it. I believe the result of what they did will be that people will not trust what the weather service says anymore, which is likely the result of this incredibly bad decision. Um, let's see. JT in Kenosha writes that National Weather Service lying about the weather forecast was incredibly irresponsible. It had a huge impact on the economy in the Northeast as schools and businesses closed, and it could cost lives. The next time they forecast two feet, and it really is two feet, no one will believe them. Yeah, that's, that's it. And it's this whole idea that, that we are too stupid to be trusted with the most accurate information that's there. Like I say, I understand predicting the weather is difficult. I understand sometimes you have the bus forecasts where you think it's going to be a foot and a half of snow or it's going to be a foot of snow and the thing, it changes and all of a sudden it's three inches of snow. I get that 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 can happen. But if if your forecast 12 hours before the event is, oh, my goodness, the storm track is changing. There's going to be more precipitation in the form of rain. We're not going to get a foot and a half of snow. Not telling the people the truth, and yes, I do consider that to be a lie, I think hurts your credibility. Big thing number three, and we forecast this yesterday accurately, by the way, um, Donald Trump's budget. Donald Trump is releasing his proposed budget today. There are the, the federal government has, what, a, a budget of like $4 trillion. Most of the budget, there's really not a lot you can do with it. it. It's entitlement spending. It's Social Security. It's Medicare. It's Medicaid. It's those type of things. Um, and that that's the majority. The one area where you can rein in costs has to do with the size and scope of the federal government. Now, over the years... The private sector, if you think back, if you work in the private sector, over the last decade, my guess is your business has probably gone through some downsizing at one time or another. My guess is there are some people, maybe this happened to you, maybe it happened to you know somebody you know, but my guess is there's people that you worked with, oh, maybe eight or nine or ten years ago, who are no longer at work not because they were bad employees, just because they got caught up in some of the economic upheaval and they ended up losing their jobs as companies downsized. Now, a lot of companies are starting to rebound. They're starting to hire again. But but pro- the private sector went through a lot of that job loss. As a general rule, the public sector, but particularly the federal government, has been immune to this. Good economic cycles, bad economic cycles, good times, bad times, flush times, hard times. The federal government has continued to grow and grow and grow. And during the campaign, Trump made it very clear that he thought the federal government was too big. He thought the federal government spent too much money and that he was going to scale it back. Now, you know that any time you try to reduce spending or positions in the government, you are going to get blowback. And you know his proposal that's coming out today, it's called America First, a budget blueprint to make American great again, preserves all the entitlement spending. It increases defense spending by about $54 million, and it takes that money from some other 
federal agencies. Um, they estimate, for example, that they're looking at reductions of about 20% at spending at agriculture, labor, the state departments, a little bit more at the EPA, um, eliminating funding for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but scaling back the scope of the federal government. And predictably, one headline after another, the sky is falling. I was just... I'm looking at the Washington Post. I'm looking at the USA Today. Trump's first budget uses dramatic cuts to fund military buildup. Trump's blueprint to reorder the federal government echoes Reagan. One story after another talking about how these these cuts, these reductions in spending that really haven't happened before, are going to just you know, decimate the, the federal government. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Toll Line. This is big story number three. Is the federal government too big? And do you believe that if they're, like I say, let's say there's an across-the-board spending cut, 15% less to all the various agencies outside of defense, is that going to decimate the country? Or is that going to be a way where, okay, maybe we're just going to have to work harder to find some savings and maybe do more with less and maybe get rid of some deadwood? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is Trump on to something by trying to rein in federal government spending, an area where there really has been little, little reining in over the course of well, pretty much forever. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's 917. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 920. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 414-799-1620 is the number. They're all over Washington. And all over the Talking Hood shows this morning, people are are screaming. Um, and I'm looking at there's this list of uh, of programs. Here here is the thing. The um, let's see some of some of the programs that are listed to be trimmed: Department of Agriculture, the McGovern Dale International Food for Education Program, two hundred uh, some million dollars for this. Um, okay, is that going to be the end of the world? Um, the Department of Education, 21st Century Community Learning Centers Program, $1.2 billion. I am not questioning that some of these programs, some of the people who work for them, are, are good people and might be worthwhile. But at the same time, what you have to do, I think, is recognize that we, we, have to, we cannot continue to spend money, particularly money that we do not have. They're looking at cutting the Title 17 Innovative Technology Loan Guarantee Program, which finances projects that combat global warming. Oh, oh, the horrors that you're going to be dealing with this. And you know of what's going to happen is over the course of the next several days, there's going to be one horror story after another coming out about, gee, if you cut back on this program or that program, it's going to be so terrible, and you're going to have this person that's not going to be able to get something that they've had in the past. And, and I understand, you know, on an individual basis, if you want to go out and you want to find a, a story about somebody who's going to be adversely affected by something, I, you, you can turn it into a big deal. But, but as a policy matter, you know, we're looking at a budget of over four you know, trillion dollars, and you cannot keep spending and spending and spending. 
And the truth is the federal government has done exactly that for, like I say, forever. So what you're seeing now is an effort to try to rein that in. And just like the world did not end over the course of the last 10 years when you had the private sector and, to an extent, the public sector in some respects, look at what's happened after Act 10 in Wisconsin, um, having to try to figure out you know, ways to, that's the phrase, do more with, with less, ways to be more fiscally responsible. And I appreciate that there's always going to be some fallout when you do that. But the truth is you cannot continue to spend and spend and spend money you do not have. Now, as far as priorities go, I still, if I was President Trump, I, I still think you need to take on the larger issue of entitlements. And just like he said during the campaign, you know, he was had no intention of trying to cut entitlement spending. I, I think, in my opinion, that is a mistake. Um, maybe he feels it's a bridge too far right now, but you know you have to try to I think rein in the entitlement spending and the costs. But maybe that's a battle you fight you know for another day. As it is, saying to different agencies, you know we want your budget's going to be cut by ten percent. Figure out how to do this. Well, I don't think that that is an unreasonable position to take. And candidly, if the federal government behaved more like you did in your own life when you made budget decisions, I think we would all be a lot better off. It's 927, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ on Days Like Today. Is it at all is it at all possible for employers to get some degree of productivity from employees during the NCAA tournament? Scafidi and Bill Stead explain why companies need to think outside the box to make it happen. That's today at 12... 35, yeah, the uh, NCAA brackets have to be in, depending on where you're playing, uh, have to be in like around 10 or 11 o'clock. I think the first games are a little bit after 11 hour time. All right, mark the tape on this one, Hondo, who's producing the show today and always. Chris Abley, Milwaukee County Executive, is exactly right. I, I don't say that very often, but credit where credit is due. This is something that I have been saying for months. Abley is saying it now. The Milwaukee, now, see, my general philosophy is anything Milwaukee County touches, it screws up. And it, it just, it is one of those, it, it, whether it's the clown car act that is the Milwaukee County Board or county government or the county executive's office or the county pension system, doesn't matter. Whatever they touch, they will manage to screw it up. Um, Milwaukee County is one of the few public entities in the state that runs its own pension system. And we all know what a debacle the Milwaukee County pension system has been. Um, going back to the whole pension scandal in 2000 and 2001 that actually led to the rise of Scott Walker as the Milwaukee County executive. Well, all right. We have in Milwaukee County, and I'm a resident of Milwaukee County, you have the, they, they administer their own pension service as system as instead of being part of the state pension system that is very, very well financed, doesn't have any problems at all. Well, it, it turns out that there have been millions of dollars in errors, overpayments, underpayments, incorrect information given to people about what their benefits are going to be, incorrect information about when they can retire, all these different types of things. And it has been going on from administration to administration. It's one of these things that just flat out isn't fixable. Well, the former director of the pension system was was fired um, her defense was, she said, yes, I did make this one screw up and we overpaid somebody like 140 grand or 240 grand, whatever that number was. But you have to understand 
it, it was so screwed up. I was running around trying to fix all these other things that, yes, I missed this one, but it, it's just so terribly messed up. You know, it's not fair to hold me responsible for this. Well, I, I think it is. But, you know, Chris Abley, I think, has come to the conclusion that it is so screwed up Then, rather than trying to, again, put Band-Aids on this gaping wound that is the Milwaukee County pension system, it's best just to let people who know what they're doing do it and transfer it to the state. Now, predictably, you've got some of the usual suspects who are still whining about this, but that's more, I think, in line that they just don't don't want to support anything that Abley wants to do. And I understand with Abley's track record, there's all sorts of reasons to not want to go along with some of the things he's suggesting. But when it comes to the Milwaukee County pension system, the sooner you get that out of the hands of Milwaukee County, the better it's going to be. The better it's going to be for current employees, the better it's going to be for retirees, and the better it's going to be for taxpayers, period. It's 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. It all comes down to this, the Division One and Two Boys Basketball Championship Games are this Saturday in Madison. Our Preps Live coverage kicks off at 615. Listen live at WTMJ.com or on the WTMJ mobile app. Okay, so we were just talking about a couple minutes ago. This is the start of the NCAA tournament, and it is very cool for the city that we have, this will be the final time that the Bradley Center will be hosting the NCAA games. We've got teams from eight different schools that are in town, and, of course, the fans with those with those schools are, are coming as well. In addition to that, because the games are in town, there's a lot of people who just enjoy college basketball, even though it might not be one of your teams that are playing, and so they're going to be going down to the Bradley Center to take in the games. couple sessions uh couple sessions early on in the day, couple sessions this evening, and then two back-to-back games on Saturday. So a lot of stuff is going to be going on downtown. And by the way, tomorrow is, of course, St. Patrick's Day, which is always always an attraction for area bars and restaurants. Ever since construction for the new Bucks Arena started, parking downtown around the time that big events are being played has been a nightmare. Uh, they, that city-owned parking structure that was across from the Bradley Center that had almost a thousand parking spaces that is now gone. So you've also got the there was a parking lot behind the Bradley Center that's gone. So suddenly you you lose like fifteen hundred or so spaces. Then you've got a lot of the construction. So some street parking that was there is no longer there as well. Parking is at a premium. If over the course of the last several months, you have attended Bucks games, or like I do, Marquette games. What you found is that the prices to park in the downtown structures or the downtown lots close to the Bradley Center have gone up dramatically. Maybe two years ago, when there was more parking around, it might have cost you 15 bucks. Now it costs you 30 or 35 I, I'm getting reports that around the Bradley Center today, it is not uncommon to see, well, if you can find a space for $30, you're, you're lucky, and that they expect that there's going to be other places that are going to be charging a lot more for for parking spaces. So, you know, people are being advised, just, just be aware of it. Gotten a couple emails from people suggesting that this is really a form of price gouging. 
the, the outrageous fees being charged to park and that it's not user friendly to, to do this, to, to charge these outrageous rates, especially because the, the reason you have the supply, there's such a limited supply, is because of what the government has done, tearing down the parking structures, things like that, creating now more demand because you've limited the supply. So, I mean, today and tomorrow, and to a lesser extent Saturday, these are going to be days that if you run a parking lot anywhere near the Bradley Center, you're going to be charging everything you possibly can. And, you know, there's an argument to be made that this is, in fact, price gouging. At the same time, if you're a free market person, it's supply and it's demand. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Is it outrageous? for parking operators in that immediate area to essentially charge whatever they can, understanding that people are going to pay for this and that a lot of the people who are going to be coming to the games are probably people, you know, from out of town anyways, who, you know, if they've driven here or whatever and they're staying like at outlying hotels, they're 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 going to need to play find a park place to park anyway. So, you know, why why not why not soak them? Is there anything wrong with the parking operators doing that? Should there be limits on what people can charge to park, or is this just supply and demand? After after hurricanes, right, we, we don't allow profiteers to come in and say, all right, we're going to sell bottled water to people for, you know, $10 a bottle when we normally sell it for, you know, 40 cents or whatever that is. We, we don't allow that to happen. Should the same thing apply to parking at events like this, or is it just, hey, this is an opportunity for people to make money, there's a limited supply, there's high demand, and people should be able to charge what the market bears, even if it means there's a form of price gouging going on. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Is it unreasonable to charge 30 or 40 bucks to find to park at a space somewhere near the Bradley Center to attend an event like the NCAA tournament. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 943, 620WTMJ on our Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line. I just got a text. Somebody says, I just saw a sign parking by the Hyatt, $50. I mean, $50 to park your car. And, And, of course, a number of the schools that are playing, people drive in, so presumably they've got the cars. Um, I, again, it's a supply and demand type of thing. Nobody makes you pay fifty dollars, but but is that price gouging? And and should should it be going on? Let's talk to Jeff in Wabatosa. Jeff, good morning. Hey, Jeff. You know it's a free market society, yep. and they can charge whatever they want. But the more they they charge prices, that would enrage Clark Howard. Right. And the crazy the crazy the parking gets. Uh, you know, people are gonna are gonna find alternative routes. Right. Well, have, well, or it also, I mean, it also, from the perspective of the city, it, it leaves, I think it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. If you come into a community and you feel like you're getting ripped off, and I'm sorry, if you drive into the downtown area from, you know, you're, you, you've come from Muncie, Indiana, or whatever, and you see all of a sudden it's it's $50 parking, that's, that's going to leave you feeling, even if you pay it, you're going to feel like you have been ripped off by by pirates in Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, and word word is going to get around, and if there's an event that someone's on the, the fence about whether or not they're, they're going to want to go, 
that could easily tip it and decide the person not not to, to bring their right. business to Milwaukee. Right, and of, right, and again, they have. I mean, they have the right to do it. I I, I appreciate that, but at some point in time, you also wonder whether organizers could, for example, explore alternative ways for people to be able to get to the venue without having to pay exorbitant rates or or you know you could say take a cab or take uber well my understanding is like uber is now charging three times as much as normal to take people in there this is like their their peak demand thing so they're they're engaging in again whether it's free market opportunism or whether it's price gouging i'll leave it up to you let's talk to ryan and franklin ryan you're in 620 wtmj hi why aren't they setting up uh public transportation like we do for Summerfest. They could park at State Fair Park Grounds or someplace like that out and ride the bus in for a buck or five bucks or whatever. Yeah, you know, that's a really, Ryan, thanks for that. That's a really interesting concept. I I, I went to um, Canton this summer for Brett Favre's Hall of Fame induction. And and the Hall of Fame ceremony and the the game, it's, it's in... It's in kind of the heart of Canton, Ohio, and there's very, very little parking around the Hall of Fame building and, and the stadium. And so for, for at least that weekend, you have all these people that are pouring in, tens of thousands of people who are pouring in. Well, what they do is they open up, I want to say it's Stark County Fairgrounds, which are about three or four miles away from the facility. They open that up for parking. So you park, you drive there. It's like $5 to park your car. And then they run shuttles over all the time. So I, I think, you know, there might have been some really up close parking that you could find if you were willing to pay exorbitant prices for it. But what we did is you, you drive. Now, again, we were driving a little bit out of our way, but you could park your car for $5. You take the shuttle. They're running shuttles back and forth. And you, you don't feel like you're being gouged for that. Richard in New Berlin. Richard, you're on 620 WTMJ. Well, on the same vein, what a wonderful idea for our county government to do something useful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Run mean- shuttle buses downtown from the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that that would be, right, you, you run some of the extra things or... Again, you, you open up the parking lots at Summerfest, and you tell visitors that are coming down here, hey, if you've got a car and you've got an issue, just, just drive down to the Summerfest grounds or drive out to State Fair or, or whatever. Um, park your car there. Don't worry about it. Take a shuttle for a dollar. We'll drop you off. We'll run you back. You don't have to worry about you know paying $50 to try to find a parking space in the immediate you know area of the Bradley. No, I mean, I think, see, that's, see that is the type of, of creative things that you could possibly do and for the folks who decide hey i I don't care about that i i 50 bucks is okay with me or 40 bucks is okay with me and i want the convenience of having my car and i don't want to have to wait in line to get on a shuttle bus and i don't want to have to go there that that's fine too i am not arguing for an ordinance that prevents these the the parking lot operators from charging 40 or 50 dollars or whatever they think the market bears but again big picture I'm trying to think from a tourist perspective. You come into Milwaukee, and all of a sudden you're driving around, and you're finding that they want 40 or $50 to park your car within a couple blocks of the Bradley Center. That's, that's going to leave that's gonna leave a bad taste in your mouth. Pam in Mequon. Pam, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, two things, Charlie. Um, one Jeff, Char- is... Trust me, Charlie, Charlie is sleeping in today. <laughs> Good morning, Pam. That's okay. Thank you for listening. Um... Good morning. <laughs> 
I don't think the parking is the only thing that's a little bit crazy in this whole um, NCAA tournament. I was anxious to go because I'm an Iowa State alum, but the nosebleed tickets, row X, behind the basket, are $79. Yeah. Yeah, right. The seats are just about as crazy. (laughs) The other thing is if you went to some of the ticket places to buy tickets for seats, Right. I believe you could buy parking reserved for thirty dollars. So yeah, if you did it up if front, you yeah. Ahead, you could. Yeah, and and again, right, and I'm sure there's. I mean, again, there there there's ways around it. And if you know, I mean, the way the way I've been dealing with this the the entire year. I mean, I haven't. I I for years and years. I belong to the Wisconsin Club, which is on like what tenth or eleventh and uh, and Wisconsin Avenue. And and for years and years, I I, I didn't belong. My, my brother belongs. My one of my very close friends belongs. And I would always mooch off their membership. You know, and they run shuttle buses. And so this year, I finally decided I'm going to bite the bullet. And so for for all the events I go to at the Bradley Center, you know, I just I don't do it anymore. I just I I park up there. I take the shuttle. It is incredibly convenient and. It's the only way to go, but of course that's the option. If you're a, if you're a local, if from you're from around here, you have those different you know options of things to do. As far as the tickets to the game, well, again, that's um, that that's another thing where it's just it's it's what the market will bear. Um, let's talk to let's see, Sandy in Milwaukee. Sandy on six twenty WTMJ. Oh, my thought on it was that if you had had areas where you ran a shuttle. That also would have induced the people that have parking facilities downtown and close to the venue to keep their prices down because they knew yep. they would have lost out. Yes, yes, no, exactly, because that would, I mean, one of the reasons that you're able to charge $50 for a parking space is because there's such a limited number of options that are down there. Um, right, so if there was this other option that you could take a shuttle for $5 from the Summerfest grounds, for example, you're, you're right. That might maybe people would have said, "Gee, we can't charge fifty dollars anymore. We're going to have to charge thirty dollars or something." And, right. Right. Um, no. Again, it, it's that whole idea. I mean, thanks for the call. It's the whole idea of competition, and I, I, I appreciate that. You know, you got the parking lot operators who are let's strike while the iron is hot because there's a lot of nights that there's nothing going on downtown, and we can't you know give away our parking spaces. So this is this is our chance to make a bunch of dough. I, I understand that, but still. Uh, Bruce in Fredonia. Bruce, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Well, I don't think you're going to see the county running buses downtown from State Fair or wherever because I think they want the people to be downtown for spend money. Well, but also, well, well, but let me but let me stop you. Let, let's um, okay. Let, so let's say you 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 set up shuttles from Summerfest just just for the sake of argument for for you know a dollar or whatever. Um, but but still, okay. But still, aren't I mean? So people get in there. They're still going to be. Aren't they still going to be wandering around? You know, going to the, you know, going to the different bars and restaurants. Aren't they still going to be spending money? I think a lot of that depends on the weather this time of year. I mean, they they might go to Third Street, but yeah. I think if I was a business person, if I had a gym bell on Blue Mound or somewhere, you know, I try to get the word out on yeah. internet on Facebook or whatever, and yeah, you know, in a parking <laughs> lot, I would take, you know privately take buses downtown. I think that'd be a good idea, but I just don't see the county doing it because I think it. Yeah. They're going to be cutting some of the operators that are in the, you know, the downtown area. Well, yeah, and, and, and you're well, and you're you're right. I mean, if I if 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 I was, yes, if, if you and I own that, if you and I own that gin mill out on Blue Mound Road or whatever, there's no question about it. I mean, I would be, 
I would be flooding the area um, hotels saying, hey, you know, come on out to our place, have a couple cocktails, and, and you know, we'll take you, we'll take you down to the game. And that money that you would otherwise spend on parking downtown, you could put it towards beer and burgers or whatever. Again, I, I'm, I'm not calling for regulations and all. I, I do, as somebody who, you know, goes to events all over the country, and, and occasionally, okay, I was at the Super Bowl yeah, when the Packers played Dallas in, what, 2011? Is that when that was? And and the parking around the Super Bowl was was just crazy. I mean, they were charging 100 to, uh, in, in the neighborhood, $100 to park the car. Now, I, I we knew some people that lived a couple miles away, and so we parked at their house and ended up, somebody just kind of shuttled us down there, so you avoided it. But otherwise, you would have really had no choice. Now, I appreciate it. I'm, an, I'm a free market guy. I'm a supply and demand type of guy. But the reality is, if you're a visitor to an area and you're looking at those type of things, you do feel like you are being taken advantage of. Just saying. 954, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And if you are from out of town, here for the NCAAs, listening to the program, welcome. Welcome to Milwaukee. We love it here. We love having you here. Enjoy the gin mills downtown. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the hotels. Enjoy the restaurants. Spend some money. We appreciate it. 954, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 957, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, a quick program note. Remember, you can go to WTMJ.com. You'll see a section that says WTMJ mobile app. You can download podcasts of this program, and I know lots of people are doing that. So if you want to hear the whole program but can't listen to all three and a half hours because you've you know, got other things going on and you're in and out of your car or whatever, you can download the podcasts. You can also be notified and have them automatically uploaded every time uh, we post one. Same thing is true with Sports Central. There's also on the podcast page a number of podcasts from voices you don't hear every day on the radio, some very, very interesting ones, so I encourage you to check that out. All right, the mean streets of Milwaukee continue. Interesting story on Fox 6 the other night. You feel violated. Daytime home burglaries on Milwaukee's northwest side trigger police warning. An uptick in home burglaries has caused the Milwaukee police in District 4, that's the northwest side, to issue warnings to residents to be on the lookouts for suspicious activity. Neighbors say the situation makes them feel like a prisoner in their own home. Um, Some neighbors of the area said they avoid taking long road trips because you can't know for sure what conditions you will find your home in when you return. And um, one of the things they're finding is that people who head off to work, that's becoming a popular time for thieves to strike. It is coming to this in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee. We know that you can't leave your car running in the driveway to warm up when it's 10 degrees outside because there's a better than even chance that the car will, in fact, be stolen. We understand that, you know, there's a lot of parts of town that you can't walk to your car in the street because there's a good chance you're going to get carjacked. It is now coming to the point that you cannot leave your home to either go on vacation or even go to work for any length of time because when you come back, the place might be burglarized. At what point in time do collectively the folks who are responsible for running the city have to start taking some accountability and saying, look, we've got this criminal element that is running out of control, and we need to rein them in. It's 1008. This is Jeff Wagner. On our text line, we're getting all sorts of photographs from people 
documenting parking prices downtown. The uh, let's see, once this is next to the federal building, that would be the Blue Monstrosity, the Royce Building that's for sale and three quarters empty, uh, charging thirty dollars to park there. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Well, all right, uh, we we should be jumping on the opportunity to get people to park anywhere near that particular building. All right, this is the segment of the program that I call a dealer's choice. It's not necessarily the biggest topic of the day, but I find it to be talkable. Oh, I have to tell you, today this is a very significant issue as well. As we were discussing earlier, Donald Trump rolls out his budget. It pretty much leaves entitlement spending intact, but does try to rein in the scope of the federal government by making cuts to various agencies, agencies that really have never had their budget cut before. One of the things that is not cut, though, is the defense budget and the budget when it comes to dealing with homeland security, particularly immigration. As part of this budget, Donald Trump wants to set aside $1.5 billion to plan, design, and begin building the wall now the estimates are once again to actually build a wall along the border between the u.s and mexico to the extent it is possible to do that um the estimates are actually building a physical wall would cost i don't know somewhere in the neighborhood of six billion b as in billion dollars probably a little bit more than that but but let's let's work with six billion dollars as the figure this budget says, all right, we're going to start off. We want $1.5 billion to start the process, begin the planning, etc. Now, President Trump has maintained all along that this is going to be cost neutral, that it's not going to ultimately cost American taxpayers anything because we're going to figure out a way to make Mexico pay for the wall. Now, Mexican government officials say no blanking way. And they don't say blanking, but they do use that word. Whatever word you want to put in there, that's the word. That it's, there's no way that we're going to pay. And the Trump administration is saying, well, yes, we're, we're going to figure out a way. We're going to make them pay, but we want to get this started. So we're going to have the American taxpayers start paying for this up front, but we'll get the money back from Mexico somewhere along the line. So they're looking at $1.5 B as in billion dollars in this current budget to start the process. 414. 799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Ever since this idea was first floated, I have been a skeptic. To me, I thought when we were talking about a, a wall, we were using that as, as a metaphor. You know, maybe at some points in the border, uh, along the border, you, you do want to have a fence or something like that. But otherwise, I thought a wall we were maybe referring to we're going to use it metaphysically as a wall. It's going to be we're going to have high-tech electronic surveillance at certain parts, and we're going to have more border agents stationed at other parts, and we're going to build an impregnable wall without necessarily meaning a physical wall. President Trump means a physical wall, and he says somebody else is ultimately going to pay for it. A lot of us are skeptical of that. All right, should we should we spend $1.5 B as in billion dollars up front to begin the process of building the wall, or if this really is going to be somehow paid for by Mexico, should we wait until they're in a position to pay for it or they start reimbursing us? Does this belong in the budget? Does building a physical wall continue to be a good idea, particularly if the American taxpayers are going to have to pay for it? Is this the best use of money in this budget? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. What do you think? Should we really go ahead at the end of the day with this border wall, spending $1.5 billion to begin constructing it and begin designing it, knowing that it's probably going to cost three or four times that before we're ultimately finished? What do you think? 414-799-1620 is the number. It's 1013. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten fifteen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. The Donald Trump budget includes one point five billion billion dollars to begin construction of the wall, um, and also planning and things related to that. The president continues to maintain that Mexico will pay for it. Frankly, a lot of GOP legislators who have really never been that enamored of the wall to begin with are now saying, "Hey, you're talking about cutting all these other programs. Uh, it's tough for us to justify cutting these programs." And still spending this money. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, you know, I think it's very impractical to put in a wall to the entire southern border. It, it just makes no sense to me. And I, I don't know if that that was the plan of Trump. I know there's portions, portions of the assault, but we definitely need a, a mm-hmm. wall. But you were talking about it's electronic uh, surveillance, and I, I happen to agree with that 100%. Where there's need for electronic surveillance, there should be. Yeah. And where there's need for a wall, there should be. Well, see, that's oh, yeah. what I've always thought. I mean, if you look at, at the geography around the border, for example, I mean, people that live in some of these border towns, they, they have they have lawns, they have properties. You're, you know, you, you'd be actually running this wall. You'd, you'd have to take their property. You'd have to be running this wall through the middle of their property. And I guess I... I appreciate in some areas it makes sense, but just also there's some remote areas where I don't think anybody could cross. Why build a wall in that area? It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't think he's going to build a wall there. Like you said, it's impassable anyway. How are you going to get across this place? Right. Uh, I think that would be surveillance. I don't see a wall there at all. Right. Uh, I, there's a natural wall there. Yeah, I mean, I see, I guess that's, I mean, I understand what the president's talking about, and I'm 100% behind be, behind increasing security at the border because if, if we're going to wrestle with the idea of what do you do with 11 million people that are in this country illegally, the first thing you have to do is say, okay, we want to dramatically decrease the number of people who continue to come into the country illegally on a regular basis. So I'm not against increased border enforcement. And some of the things that he's talking about doing, hiring more immigration agents, you know, that those that stuff makes complete and total sense to me. It's the physical wall that I'm having problems with. Let's talk to Samuel in Milwaukee. Samuel, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Really appreciate uh, your radio show. Thank Enjoy you, sir. It. Thanks for listening. So, honestly, I, I think that this is Trump's, um, one of his dumber ideas. <laughs> it's it's going to be like a logistical nightmare of yeah. something. Okay, so how are we going to actually do it and something that plans aren't in play mm-hmm. and like do we have a, a full thought out plan of how we're going to do it well and do you i guess and and do you do you need it all, all across the entire border i mean i as opposed because right now there's there certain areas that do have fences and things like that and i guess i 
I, I mean, I sort of know the geography, but not all of it. I could, I could see make a strong case that, yeah, there's certain parts where it makes sense to have a, a physical wall, but there's other parts. I just rather, doesn't it make more sense to add flyovers or, or things like that or put in, you know, motion sensors or stuff like that? Doesn't that make more sense? Isn't it more cost effective? It's, that's the only question I have. I mean, a wall sounds good, but, but do you really need it? And, I guess the other question, Samuel, is do you believe that Mexico's ever really going to pay for this? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they they, yeah. they they have the money in the first place. So. Um, yeah, well, well thanks, again, and that's and, and that's just another that that's that's just another situation. And the fundamental question is, do you at at its heart, do you believe that a physical wall is really the best way? that we can enhance our border security, or could that money that would go into constructing the physical wall, not just the $1.5 billion billion up front, but the, the 6 or $7 billion, let, let us assume for the sake of argument that we're not going to be able to get Mexico to pay. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I'll be proven wrong on that, and, and that that's great. But if, if we assume that, at least for the foreseeable future, this is going to be built on the taxpayer's dime, is there a better, cheaper, more effective way that you can get the same result without constructing a physical wall? Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, good morning. Hi, how are you doing? Real well, thanks. What do you think? Uh, my opinion is is $1.6 billion, which is a very small amount compared to today's, uh, to today's uh, budgets and everything, uh-huh. that uh, compared to the fact that you get, uh, what, $360 billion going to uh, housing, welfare, and benefits to the illegal aliens, it's a very small amount to pay to start a wall, and I think a wall would be a starting point, I think, uh I would personally, the Rio Grande River, I would probably put alligators in there. It'd be cheaper. But uh, do you think, do you really, let me ask you this. Do you think a wall, tell me, explain to me why you think a a wall along the entire border is the the, the best way of of trying to stop people from crossing over to the U.S.? Well, it stopped people from leaving East Berlin. Uh, Well, to an extent, yeah. I mean, yes. Okay. All right. Thank, okay. Thank, I guess. No. Thanks. I mean. Okay. That's. I guess. See. That's the. And, and that's why. I mean. But. But we're not going to put. We're not going to put sharpshooters up on the on on the wall. Um. I, I don't think we're going to be using tactics that they used in, in East Berlin to keep people in. Um. Uh. Or and of course, keep in mind that's the, the effect of the Berlin Wall was to try to keep people in, not keep people out. I, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, the, to me, fixed placement things sort of went out of style back once we developed the ability to fly. You know, once Orville and Wilbur Wright des- developed you know airplanes and stuff, that that the whole fixed placements, the idea of walls being effective. And again, I'm I'm not advocating that we are not. We do not be aggressive along the border. I'm just wondering if if the money has got to come from us up front. Is is this the best way? And the 1.5 billion dollars that's just the, the down payment on, on this. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, let's see uh, da, 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 da. Ron in Johnson Creek. Ron, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. 
Hey, good morning, Jeff. Uh, missed your show in the afternoon. I used to listen to you oh. all the time. Not I'm not in a position to do so anymore, but today I am. Well, I'm glad and, to have uh, you, and we do podcast the show, so you can listen anytime you want, my friend. <laughs> fair, fair enough, fair enough. Hey, I got a lot of opinions on this, but let's start with your original question. Is it worth the dollars we're spending to put this wall up? I agree with your previous caller that said, have we ever really looked at what illegal aliens living in America is costing America? Because if we can nip that in half, I'm willing to bet we've already practically paid for the wall. Right. Okay, I think there's a lot of dollars going out to people in this country that shouldn't be collecting American dollars to start with. Okay. Have you ever seen any of the wall uh, that any parts of the different walls that are erected at the border currently? Because I, I was down in uh, Douglas, Douglas, Arizona. Okay. And they've got a wall there that's 30 feet high. Right. It originates in first a solid concrete bottom. Then there's chain link with razor wire. It's double. It's double sided, and the, the zone in between ends in a very deeply veed concrete trench. I don't know how anybody's getting past that, and frankly, I'm not sure how deep into the into the ground it goes, but I'm thinking it's fairly deep. Mm-hmm. That wall would be a grand deterrent to just about anybody. You know, listen, anybody who wants to do something illegal and is very creative may find a way to get it done. But the idea is not to stop one or two people. It's to stop this, this hemorrhaging of people coming over. What about people who don't want something like that in their backyard? <laughs> Well, I don't know. It depends yeah. on, on, on how America, you feel about America and about how you feel about uh, people coming into America and taking what doesn't belong to them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think if I lived on the border and I had land on the border and they wanted to put a wall, I'd give them the land, frankly. Okay. I think, I think security in my country is paramount right. to Americans feeling we we live in a free country where people can walk down the street basically uh, unfettered and and unafraid and uh, you know it's not a perfect land we know that but I, I think that as time goes on our country in its grand iterations through time is starting to slip away from us right. and I think I think illegal aliens living in our borders do a lot to pr- promote that well and again I I don't don't misunderstand me I am. I'm not, and I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm getting these texts and stuff. I, I am not against border security. I am I'm not. What I wrestle with, and I think what a lot of legislators wrestle with, is whether a physical wall, given given the, the, the what I mean, how many thousand miles that you're talking about, whether or not that's that is worth the expense of doing this, and a couple people on our text line are pointing out, yeah, you had the Berlin Wall, but the Berlin Wall wasn't thousands of miles long. I mean, it, it's at some point in time, does that become does that become a practical thing, or are there better ways to accomplish it? It's why I am glad, for example, to see in in the Trump budget that there's money being put into you know more homeland security agents and you know more money to be spent on what they call you know, tactical infrastructure, which is security technology at, at the border, that that type of stuff, which I have no problem with at all. Electronic surveillance, cameras, I, who knows what else they have available now. I'm all in favor of that stuff. It's just the physical wall that I continue to be, I guess, unconvinced that that's the best way to approach things. But it's in the budget, and it's what the debate is going to be, I guarantee it.
1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, it was one of those feel-good stories of the week. Never mind. You, last weekend, this got a lot of attention. There's a 17-year-old girl who goes to Waukesha West. Her name is Ava Tarantino. Can you say girl anymore or, or boy? Can you say girl or boy? I, that The Air Force says no because people might be offended by that. But uh, this weekend you've got – last weekend you had the girls' high school basketball tournament. This weekend you've got the boys' high school basketball tournament. Ava Tarantino is sev- 17 years old, young woman, who goes to Waukesha West. You may remember this story. She is a huge fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers because of her father. Her father has taken her to Pittsburgh for her birthday every year since she was four. She's a huge Pittsburgh Steeler fan. So when she starts thinking about prom, she decides, I know, this would be cool. What she does is she tweets LaVon Bell. LaVon Bell is a running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And she says, hey, would you be my prime di- prom date if I can get 500 retweets? He sends back saying, if you get 600, it's a deal. All right. Now he's 25. She's 17. They're not seeing each other. All right. But it's just, he's the star. She's a fan. He says 600. She ends up getting 800 retweets. And he says, okay, a deal is a deal. I- I'm going to come. Now, she says, like, Steeler fans are the best. Well, Packers fans are pretty good too. My tweet just proves Steelers Nation is like the best nation in the whole world. So, all right, so this is, you know, it's not like they are romantically involved. He's a celebrity. This is kind of like you've got, well, I mean, it's not like she's, you know, deathly ill or anything, but sometimes you see that. that. Okay, so so Bell, who's 25 years old, says, yeah, we're, we're going to come. I'm going to bring my mom to my, I'm going to bring my mom with me. I'm also going to bring my girlfriend with me. And, um, you know, my girlfriend is actually going to do, uh, the, the gal Ava's makeup. All right. So it's, it's, how, how cool is that? You know, I mean, they're, they're going to come there. All right. So this is this feel good story. We now switch to Waukesha West. Waukesha West. Le'Veon Bell. Got it. Le'Veon Bell. Waukesha West has a rule that says that for prom dates, the prom dates can't be older than 19. The, the idea being, of course, that you don't, uh, you, you don't want, you know, older guys come into the prom, I, I, I guess. So that, that's the rule. And I'm not going to argue with the rule, but, but it is for prom dates. They say the rule has been in place for decades with no exceptions. But at first they say, okay, we're, we're going to consider this. So Journal Sentinel has, um, follow up to this right now. Uh, apparently, uh, Waukesha West is saying no, that this, this can't happen. Waukesha West, this is the way the Journal Sentinel is reporting it. Waukesha School District spokeswoman Terry Schuster said that Le'Veon Bell could attend the public events with 17 year old Waukesha West Jr. Ava Tarantino, but he will not be welcome at the dance itself. Not just because of the age thing but because he's been involved in drug, alcohol, or violent criminal incidents. You can Google Mr. Bell, Schuster said, in an apparent allusion to the 2014 incident that earned Bell a two-game suspension. District policy also bars guests who are older than 19. We have to be equitable in the way we treat our students. We don't even know if this is a real commitment. So essentially the school is saying that because 
He's, he's 25, not 19. And because he apparently had a suspension or something for drug or alcohol, he's not suitable. So he can do the public events, but he can't come to the, the dance. Her dad says, well, look, um, I, I understand you, you've got this age prohibition, but let's be real here. In this case, he's a celebrity. He's not her date. He's agreed to do this and bring his family. And that he's bringing his girlfriend and his mother to this as well. And, and maybe couldn't we sort of make an exception under the circumstances? And so far, the school district appears to be saying, no, rules are rules. You Google him, and he had some drug or alcohol-related thing in 2014 that led to a suspension. And he's 25 years old, and we have this rule. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Under these circumstances, and by the way, I am not criticizing a rule that says you, you, you can't be older than 19 to take people to the prom. I understand why they have that rule. In a case like this, though, is this a situation where maybe we should exercise some common sense and recognize what's going on here and say, all right, we're going to make an exception? Or are rules rules, and is this something that should be applied? You Google him. He had some problems with a drug-related thing a few years ago, and he's 25 years old. No, you're not welcome at this prom. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1040, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let's start with Dick in Heartland. Dick, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I just wanted to say that if you would have asked Aaron Rodgers to this prom, right. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that the school will okay it. I bet you any money they would okay it. Well, see, that's a really interesting question. If instead of it being a, a star for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Le'Veon Bell, and it was a guy, right, it was 33-year-old or 32-year-old, however it is, Aaron Rodgers, right, I, I can't imagine the school saying no you can't come to the dance because you're over 19. <laughs> it just, because they, they, we would understand what's going on. Aaron Rodgers isn't her date in the sense of, okay, most of the people who are bringing dates, this is kind of a, a special sort of thing, a, a one, a one off. So should the school make an exception in this case? Exactly. Yeah, okay. That 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. I, I uh, let's talk to Claudette in Brookfield. Claudette, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Well, my feeling is, with all due respect to Waukesha West and the rules, I, I think they should make an exception. This is obviously something that was all in fun. She's a high school gal. This guy responded and said, yes, here, I'll make the challenge a little harder, get 600 She did it. He's coming. He's bringing his mom, his sister. I just think, I mean, I would say to any other Waukesha school, I think you should invite Eva and Le'Veon to your prom. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess I wonder, and again, I, I'm not, I am not questioning the rule as a general matter. Not at all. But because it, it does make sense. But this, this is not that type of, this, this is not the date. He's bringing his right. mom. It, it's, it's not, this is something right. bigger. And I guess here's my question, Claudette. What I would wonder is if this were, let's say, instead of just being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, 
let's say this young lady had an incurable disease. She doesn't. But, I mean, just let, let's say right. this was like one of these kind of make-a-wish make things, and she reaches out to some 30-year-old celebrity who might have been busted for pot or whatever at some point in time, and the celebrity agrees to come. Are, are you going to say no to her then because, well, you're, you're over 19? I mean, it's would, would you say that? I don't think they would. I don't think they would. Well, and, and, and I guess I don't think they should either in 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 these circumstances. No, okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I mean, I have, okay, we're getting deluged on our text line, which is good. That's what it's there for. Um, let's see. Kudos to the school for standing up against a rich NFL druggie. Um, if this was Jordy Nelson, totally different story. Well, I mean, okay, really? I mean, let, what about the, a number of... What about a number of the Packers players who have had incidents with with the law? Okay, so if this was um, okay, uh, Sam Shields, former Packer player who got busted for for pot, w- would you say no under these circumstances? We're not going to let him in. No, the, the purpose for this rule, and again, I, I get it. You know, they do background checks on the dates if they're not part of school because you know you don't want the twenty four year old neighborhood drug dealer coming into the prom. I understand that. But can't we use at least a little bit of common sense for for this type of situation and to try to, you know, figure out, you know, what's what's going on? I mean, you know, another text says, you know, what if Bill Bell was looked at as a chaperone? He could also give a short presentation to the school about, you know, how past choices in your life can have consequences later. And he can explain how grateful he is to the Waukesha school system for giving him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, does anybody really think? that this guy is going to pose a danger to any of the kids. I mean, if he shows up at the prom, my guess is this is going to be this is going to be a big deal for the other kids at the prom who are going to be either they're not going to care and they're going to go about having fun, but a lot of people are going to say, "Hey, this we're we're going to get national attention for our prom because we've got this Pittsburgh Steeler guy that's here." The, the reasons for the rule make sense to me. Again, you you want to promote, you want to protect the safety of the kids. I get all that. But that's that's not the way the rule is applied in particular in, in this case. All right, let's talk to Denise in Brookfield. Denise, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? I'm, I think, you know, I have been listening to what you're saying, and I think if we're comparing apples and oranges. We're taking a, a school rule and uh, applying it to um, a, a different circumstance. I, I do think that the schools tried to reach a compromise with doing the public, outings and i especially like the text that you just had as far as this person giving a presentation mm-hmm. but really not allowing him to go to the dance i don't see how that diminishes the event at all you know there's added security you have to have if you're having a celebrity you said national attention mm-hmm. that even more strangers or outside people into a local event and who's going to pay for the extra security if, if this were, if this were aaron Rodgers, do you think they would have said no I think they would have probably talked about it a little bit longer. They would have brought up all the cost issues. They would have brought up security issues. They probably would have said the same thing. It's great to have him in private, but once you go to your prom dance and the music is playing and the lights are low and people are drinking punch, what difference does it make if he's not there, if you've already enjoyed his celebrity prior to the dance? Well, I guess, I guess, but I'm, I'm, that kind of begs the question, though. You say, what difference does it make if he if he's not there? I guess the flip side would be, what's the big deal if he's there? I mean, if if he's there, I mean, you you don't 
you don't seriously think that he's going to be like peddling drugs or trying to hit on the high school girls if he's there with his mom and his and his girlfriend, do you? No, 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 not at all. But I think it's a, a huge distraction to what the event actually is, which is normally the last dance of your high school career. And what's the point? You know, are we all then going to just say, let's invite a celebrity and see who can get the best celebrity? And it's just. But don't you think that would be kind of cool? I mean, I, I guess I'm I'm trying to think. It's it's been a long time since I went to prom. I, <laughs> you okay, and I both. right? Okay, so so I, I mean, I, I throw that out. But I, I'm trying to think that if there were if there were some, you know, celebrity that was willing to come to the prom again under these circumstances, I guess I think that that I think that that would be cool um, to have the person there because you know what's going to happen is all the guys are going to go up and they're they're going to be wanting to talk to him and things like that. I mean, I guess I. I just think I don't. I guess I don't know that it diminishes it. I would guess if you asked, and this is just my guess, the majority of kids who are attending that prom, whether they would like to see this guy there, my guess is eighty-five percent or ninety percent would say yes. The um, guys probably. The girls, I don't know. Okay. All right. No. Okay. Thanks. I mean, I, I mean, I guess. I guess I just throw that. Out. See, I'd always try. Here's how I analyze this stuff. I, I try to figure out what the purpose behind a rule is. And the purpose behind this rule, again, you don't want older guys, you know, sniffing around, you know, the, the, the high school girls. Okay, that's number one. That's a valid rule. Number two, you do a background check on people because, again, you don't want the neighborhood drug dealer that is going to the prom. In both of those situations, though, that's not that's not what this is. This is, again, this is he, he he's not going to be hitting on the high school girls. He's going to be there with his mom and his girlfriend. Um, he's a 25-year-old football player. He's doing this as part of a, hey, she's a Steelers fan. This is kind of like, hey, this gives me maybe some good publicity. It sounds like he could perhaps use a little bit of good publicity. Yes, I understand he's had some issues with drugs in the past, but it's not like he's the neighborhood drug dealer that's there. 414-799-1620. Um, let's talk to, I'm not going to take that call, Jeff on the north side. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, uh, Jeff. Thanks for taking my sure. call. What do you think? Um, you know, Jeff. You know, um, it, it, you know, it, this is typical, Jeff. You you want the rules your way. You want to bend them. You know that. that I, I understand that, but rules are made to be followed. Okay, not not uh, less interpreted this way or into. But but really, isn't rules, that? Jeff? I mean, well, no. See, I I, I mean, yes, I, I understand rules are rules, but but. I just, I, you're right. I think it is dumb to blindly follow rules where the the, the situation doesn't cover the intent of, of this. I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, let's say you have a rule that says no drugs in school, okay? And, you know, you, you have a 14-year-old a girl that shows up with my doll in her purse. It doesn't make any sense to treat, to me, to treat that girl the same way that you treat the 17-year-old guy that's selling heroin, you know, out of out of a basement. It, that, it's that, different. That's why we have judges to make that call, Jeff. Okay? Well, well, but that, but but you're saying, well, I'm, well the judge yeah, here yeah, is the Waukesha, the Waukesha School District should judge this, and they should say this is not what this rule was intended for. What, what You know what all these school systems need to do? You're talking about Le'Veon Bell coming there. You need to watch these teachers that's hitting on these kids. Okay? Well, okay. See that now? See, okay. Well, right. See, that's that's it. See, okay. Well, okay. That that was Jeff on the North Side saying that. Don't send me those emails. I'm I, I'm just I, I try to figure out what the purpose behind the rule is. And again, I mean, think about it like this: if take a 17 year old girl, same rule, 
She's got this is her this is her dream. She's got an incurable disease. That's not the case here. This the woman's this girl's just a Steelers fan. So I understand it's different. Take a seventeen year old has an incurable disease. Her her dream is to have she's a huge fan of Johnny Depp. Does the same thing, you know, Johnny Depp who's, you know, had certain issues himself. Johnny Depp says, Yes, I'm I'm going to come and I'm gonna, you know, show up with, you know, my entourage and things like that and we're gonna do this. Would would you really say no, you can't go to the dance because you're older than 19 and because you've been arrested for drugs. And I think Johnny Depp probably has. But if I, if he hasn't, just I apologize to you, Mr. Depp. But, you know, you know, this is this is my point. W- would you really say no? I guess sometimes, yes, I do think rules are made to be broken. That's why I believe God gave us some common sense and the ability, hopefully, to use discretion to figure out what's really going on here. And I guess I agree with this girl's father, who is cool with this whole thing, to the extent that, well, this really isn't, it, it's not a, a date, and what do you really gain by keeping him out of the dance itself? That's just me. 1055, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. It is 1108. All right, um, two days ago, and again, I, I was telling the story yesterday. I, I'm still angry at just... In a, in a mocking sort of way. I'm not really angry. But our, our digital, the guy that runs all our digital stuff, Dan, who does a tremendous job. I'm sitting at home. I'm minding my own business. I am enjoying the fire in the fireplace. I'm watching TV. I'm My little dog is at my feet. It, it's, a, it's a very, very nice evening. And I, I get this email from our digital the guy, Dan, who runs the digital stuff, saying, Exclusive, Rachel, and I think I have. I, I'm sure I've got a basketball game, some obscure college basketball game, and so on. And I'm watching that, and and it's like Rachel Maddow, breaking news, exclusive. She's got Donald Trump's tax returns. All right, so then I, oh, okay, you know, so I I tune in, and I, I desperately, of course, want those 30 minutes of my life back because. No, Rachel Maddow comes on, and she's appropriately gotten a lot of heat for this. Goes on this like 20 minute tirade, I mean, down every sort of lefty rabbit hole you can imagine about, you know, why Donald Trump should release his taxes, etc. And uh, there's this big thing about, like, some Russian oligarch, and then it, it just, it firing the U.S. attorney, it's just, it is just, it gets bizarre and bizarre and bizarre. And it's clearly like every sort of lefty, let's go through the Alice in Wonderland tunnel. It when Finally, after 20-some minutes, it, they lead up to it, and They've got a copy of Donald Trump's, the first two pages of his 2005 tax return, which shows that, you know, he he made up $150 million and he paid $35 million in taxes and another $3 million in payroll taxes, which is, is kind of a, a, a nothing burger of a story because he, he made a lot of money. He paid a, a lot of money. And no matter how you try to spin it, it's it's not going to be that big. I don't think people are going to be outraged about about that. But there is a, there's a different issue, and I know, you know, I've talked about this from the perspective of should Donald Trump release his tax returns? And the, the truth of the matter is, I, I mean, I think it would be in his interest to do it. I have been speculating that the reason he's not is because a lot of the recent tax returns, because of deductions and things like that, I, I suspect he probably legitimately has not been obligated to pay as much tax as people might think he should be paying um not that i'm suggesting he's doing anything illegal but but that's why but there is a larger issue and when we were discussing this yesterday i i did ask a number of people would would you want 
you know, should your tax returns be, be public? Would you want your tax returns out there? And I think to a person, people say, no, we, we, we don't. But I understand it's different if you're, you know, the president of the United States and, you know, people think that they've got an interest to maybe know more about your, your background than, than otherwise. Which is, of course, why you've got all the laws that re- re- require people in elective office to make disclosures of their finances and things like that so you can at least get a handle on it. But, but right now, candidates for president are not legally required to make their tax returns public. I want to talk about the other aspect of this. It is against the law to disseminate um, tax information. And, and right before the show, the Trump administration said that broadcasting, I mean, tax information is confidential. And people who come into contact with this, there are, as a general rule, there are, are penalties that come. I mean, if, if you, if all of a sudden, let us say you're not the president of the United States, but let us say that um, you are a semi-public figure, whatever, and you pick up a copy of the local newspaper one day, and they are—they have somehow somebody has sent them your tax returns for the last three years, and the Journal Sentinel, in this case, they, they've run with it. You know, somebody sent it to them anonymously. One of the reporters gets this, and they decide to publish it. So there, there's all your income. There's all your deductions. You know, there's the net that you, you paid, and, and it's out there. You know, how would you feel? Now, the Trump administration claimed that broadcasting tax information breaks a federal law that says people with unauthorized access to tax information can't print or publish it. That's it's a much it's a very questionable area because there's lots of legal experts that say that if if you don't seek out the information, the, the law doesn't apply. You you just get it anonymously in the mail as opposed to soliciting it. Um it's not a problem. Also, you do have these First Amendment issues. Um, again, you know, the, the, is there freedom of the press? And assuming that you weren't the ones that went in and stole the tax records, um, should the media go ahead and be able to publish this? So, I mean, I don't I, I think it's very questionable under the circumstances about whether MSNBC broke the, the law in what they did. But at the same time. At the same time, even if you are a public figure, see, we've seen this happen on a, on a regular basis. You have leaks of classified information. People for whom it is illegal to disseminate confidential information do that. And then the media runs with it. And the media's justification is, okay, we, all we did is get it and publish it. And the fact that it is stolen, the fact that someone obtained it in violation of the law, that is not our problem. We got it. We think it's in the public interest, so we're going to go ahead and print it, or we're going to put it on TV, or we're going to put it on the radio, or whatever it is. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Should there be some limits to this? I mean, should there be either a law or some degree of accountability, that if somebody steals information that is protected by law, information that is confidential by law, secrets, personal stuff that is not supposed to be disclosed, and if somebody steals it and then sends it to a media outlet, should there be some 
limitations on what the media outlet can do with it, or can you simply say, okay, we know that this is, we know that this is stolen, we know that it was obtained illegally, but we didn't do it ourselves, it showed up, what was the phrase the guy was using, over the transom, it just showed up in my mailbox, it appears to be legitimate, here, we're going to put it out there. Does that seem right to you? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with um, Mike on the south side. Mike, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. So, Jeff, if I steal a car and give it to you, can you keep it? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. So yeah. I think this is, uh, you know, totally in- inappropriate. Yeah. So, so even though they didn't steal it themselves, they're taking advantage of it. They're generating ratings. And then that's, that's what she was doing. You know, you're using it, that stolen information to benefit yourself, and you think that's wrong. I think that's totally wrong. I do, too. Now, th- thanks. I mean, I, I, I do, too. I'm, look, I'm a guy that makes his living under the umbrella of the First Amendment. But, but I mean, this – okay, MSNBC, what they did with this, this information, it's not uh, – yes, yes, is there a public interest aspect of it? Yes. But it's not just public interest. They, My guess is Tuesday night, Rachel Maddow probably had the largest ratings that she's ever had and probably ever going to have because people who tuned in and watched that spectacle, probably a lot of them never going to go back and watch her again. But but there was also this economic component to this. They were out there. They exploited the fact that they had it. They used it to try to generate uh, business. Ryan from Fond du Lac writes, I feel like this is the same as receiving stolen property, which is illegal. They should not be able to to publish it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Rick in Green Bay. Rick, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Does, does this bother you? And I, I mean, I don't mean to just single out what happened Tuesday night because this has been happening on a regular basis, and the media says, well, we didn't steal it ourselves, so we get to use it. Does that bother you? It, it would bother me if they know that if they knew it was stolen. But I think that there's also questions about that maybe Donald Trump himself may have sent that in. Well, I guess, but how do you, if, if you know that these are confidential documents, and, I mean, see, I guess the problem is if you, you, you could always say that. I mean, I you, you had the guy that speculated, the guy that got it said, well, this this could be Donald Trump, but they don't have any evidence of that. I mean, if that's the case, you could always speculate on where an anonymous document came from. Should that be an exception? Yes, I think it should be, unless you know for sure it's stolen. If I receive a, a stolen property from you and I know it's stolen, I'm just as liable. Well, but, but I mean... If but you, If you give me a TV and say, hey, Rick, you know... But I don't know it's stolen. Why should I be liable? Well, but the way I mean, the way the law works, though, is if if you get okay, you buy a stolen TV from me, and um, the the real owner finds out about it, you're going to have to give that TV back to the real owner, even though you paid me. I mean, that, that means so, that, and that's you're you're not going to be criminally liable, but you're not going to be able to, regardless of knowledge, you're you you don't get title. Um, to a to a TV in this case, you don't get title to that just because you know you paid the, the criminal. That still belongs to the original person, and if you want to get your money back, you're going to have to sue the criminal. Um, you know, good good luck. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, let's see, Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. 
Morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering where all the outrage was about this that your callers are expressing right now. Last summer and fall, when um, the Republicans who were running against Hillary mm-hmm. uh, went on and on and on again about all the material they were getting that was stolen, clearly stolen in hacked emails. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear any outrage about using stolen material then, and now you want to say that oh. this is somehow bad? Well, I, no, actually, actually, Dave, I've been saying that, I mean, I've been outraged at the use of the media using leaked information that was stolen since the, the beginning. And this has been, I mean, this is going on. It wasn't just those WikiLeaks things. It was all the, the security leaks that you've had. No, I mean, I think, I think stolen information is I, I don't think it should be used. And now and for and but here's part of the problem that, that the media has. Um and with some of the WikiLeaks stuff, what happened was it first surfaces like in European papers, and so then the the papers in the United States say, well, okay, this is already out there. Somebody has put this up on the internet, so we're just following along with that. But but the bottom line is and look at I don't care about Donald Trump's tax returns one one way or, or the other. But where does this end when it comes to the privacy of of citizens? Okay, so I don't have anything to hide in my tax returns, all right? But but still, they're, they're my personal tax returns. So because I'm a semi-public figure, because I have a radio show, if somebody gets upset with something I say that somehow in the government has access, you know, to my tax returns, who decides that they want to, you know, send them off to the local newspaper or some local internet site, and they decide. Well, here we we think we just think there's public interest in knowing, you know, how much you know Jeff Wagner made in the last couple of years or whatever. And there, believe me, there's nothing to hide in the tax returns. It's just it, it's a private matter. I mean, do, do private citizens then have no sort of accountability at all? And can the media simply say, well, we got it, we didn't steal it ourselves, so we're going to you know run with this? Let's talk to Linda in Wauwatosa. Linda, you're at 620 WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. What I don't understand is why are the authorities not going after the source, the people who are doing the illegal act right. of obtaining this information? If those people, if there were consequences yes. to those people, I right. bet you it would eventually stop. People would stop getting this illegal information, and they would stop spilling it to the media because they run the risk of going to jail. And then it's not even a question. It's not even an ethical question for right. the media because the sources of the information would dry up. Well, yeah, and, and see, and, and, and it's just, again, let, let's, let's move it away from the Trump tax issue. I mean, think, think, I, I've been making that same point, Linda, with regard to... The, the, the leaks of the Russian intercepts that are out there. I mean, you've been having that going on. You know, there, there's somebody with access to confidential, you know, government security information who, in this case, doesn't like the Trump administration. So they have been leaking these these intercepts that are, you know, classified information, and well, and then and people the run Doe. with it. Yeah, the I, John Doe investigation as uh, well. When you send something, there is an IP address attached to your computer. I don't understand why the people who are leaking it are not being I agree with you. I, I, I right I mean th- th- I I mean I agree with you. And then there's all this conversation about well they're whistleblowers. Well, all right, th- even if you're a whistleblower, there are procedures that you have um to to be able to go and disclose this stuff. I mean, do we really do you really want think about yourself. Do you really want somebody 
who has access to certain of your private records, whether uh, health records protected by law, bank records protected by law, tax records protected by law, who decides they don't like something that you're doing. And so they say, okay, here, uh, you're a member of a local school board or whatever. I'm going to leak this to the local paper because I want them to see, you know, that, you know, you had, you had treatment for, you know, such and such, you know, three or four years ago, or I want to see that, you know, you've been, you know, you've overdrawn your checking account a few times. I mean, do you really want people that have access to that information to be able to do it? To me, it's a much larger issue than simply Donald Trump. 1123, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And I guess I'm trying to make a larger point with regard to the disclosure. I understand given given the way people feel about Donald Trump one way or the other, there's there's no middle ground. It's it's tough to talk about, okay, the disclosure of his tax returns because people can't just separate that from the larger issue. And so whether it's it's classified information about Russian intercepts or classified tax information, you have people burrow with access to legally protected documents who then leak it to the media, and the media decides, well, okay, it's in our public interest, but it also is going to help sell some newspapers or it's going to help get some people eyeballs listening to the show or whatever. So using that financial motive, they, they run with it, and you know people's privacy rights get kicked to the curb. And again, it, I, I, do I think it would be a good idea for Donald Trump to disclose his tax returns? I do. Do I think if I were king, would I support a law requiring requiring elected officials to disclose their tax returns? Yeah, I, I think I, I might. But I mean that law doesn't exist right now. And I guess it it's just it's I've been seeing this over and over and over again. Personal information illegally obtained, you run it to the media, the media runs with it for their own part of its a public interest here let's inform the public but also a lot of its financial interests here we've got this exclusive don't watch the basketball game come watch us and to me i guess when the media in this case msnbc when they do that it's they don't have completely clean hands all right pop culture corner coming up um and it is very very timely and relevant going given what is going on today stick around 1120 hf wagner 620 wtmj Eleven thirty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. We have come to that point on Thursdays. We do this every Thursday for the last segment or two of the program. I call it Pop Culture Corner. We, we put away the heavy lifting of talking about you know, tax returns from the president or building a wall or the budget, and we try to have a little bit of fun. Um, sometimes on Pop Culture Corner, we talk about movies. That's kind of one of my fallback things because I'm a huge movie fan. Or sometimes it's TV. A lot of times it's music, sometimes food, sometimes just other different entertainment venues. Just something, and typically what triggers the topic is something that's going on around the area um, in a given week and that kind of tickles my fancy and hopefully will tickle yours. In addition, we broadcast, there's so many ways to reach the program. We've got a regular call in line, we've got the text line, we've got my email and we also live stream this on Facebook Live. So you can go to facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. We have turned on the lights in the studio so you can watch this and participate as well. All right. So Pop Culture Corner this week. 
NCAA tournament starts today. NCAA tournament is in Milwaukee. Lots of people are going to be going down, just hoping for, you know, just to see good games and and have fun and enjoy sporting events. I am a huge fan of sports. I I like watching sports. I like listening. I like watching sports on TV. I like listening to sports on the radio. But the truth of the matter is there is nothing, nothing like going to a live sporting event, being part of the crowd, being part of the excitement. And I have been fortunate and blessed enough in my life to have been able to have attended, you know, some some pretty big events. I mean, I went to the Super Bowl in 2011 with the Packers. Um, you know, crossed that off the bucket list. I was at the uh, I was at all three games in Milwaukee in 1982 when the Brewers, who were then in the American League, ended up sweeping the California Angels to advance to the World Series. I mean, that was just that was incredibly cool. Great sporting events. I've been at others. Given the fact that the NCAA tournament is in Milwaukee, given the fact that lots of stuff is coming up, opening day, just a couple weeks, we're all excited about that. Pop Culture Corner this week, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In addition, we're live streaming this on Facebook. What's the best sporting event that you have ever been at? And you can define best any way you want. Most exciting, biggest game, most fun game. Maybe it was the event you went to, and that's where you met your, your wife or your husband or whatever, but your most memorable in-person sporting event, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back with uh, Pop Culture Corner. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1140. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1144, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Pop Culture Corner. We're up on Facebook Live. People are participating. Uh, Jason writes, the best game I ever saw was at County Stadium. Robin Yount's 3,000th hit. Yeah, that was very, very, very cool. Um, Let's see. We have on our text line, my favorite sporting events I've ever attended were the three World Series games at Wrigley Field in October of last year. I've been a Cub fan for my whole life. Thanks for listening to the show anyways. Wasn't sure I would ever see it. I was 34 years old at the time. Tim in Aaron. Tim, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Best sporting event, most memorable one that you ever at? Uh, I was a few years back now at the Packers playoff game at Lambeau when they tied with Seattle, and it went into overtime on the coin flip. And uh, we the want the ball and we're going to win. Hasselbeck says we want the ball and we're going to win. Right? Yeah. Al Harris took it to the house on the very first uh, uh, yeah. play, and 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 the rest is history, I guess. Yeah, that would that must have been that must have been cool. I I, I, I remember Matt Hasselbeck. We want the ball and we're going to win. Well, maybe not. Karen in Milwaukee. Karen, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Why good morning? Um, my sporting event was back in the seventies. I was in high school actually at the time. And I had the opportunity to go see Illy Nastasi and Bjorn Borg uh, down at the arena for an exhibition match, tennis match. Really? Yeah. Really? Illy Nastasi, that's an and Bjorn Borg. Those are both names from the past, but what incredible right. players. Right, exactly. And, of course, I'm, I've been um, in high school and, you know, on the tennis team on Bjorn Borg was, was big guy then, big, you know, hot right. stuff. <laughs> I saw, I, I, okay, th- this is just between you and I, Karen. It's just between you and I. 
I always had a crush on Chris Everett when I when 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 we were both young, and I got a chance to watch her play Martina Navratilova in a exhibition tennis match in Chicago, and I, I I was sitting right by the court, and I actually I spoke to Chris Everett a little bit, so that was it helped me indulge at least some of those boyhood fantasies. Very neat. Hey, I got the um, tennis ball can that Bjorn drank. <laughs> okay, well, well, there, thank, thanks for the call. There, there, there you go. Yes, I, I, yeah, I did. I did have a crush on Chris Everett. What can you say? Um, let's talk to uh, Jim in Racine. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Most memorable game was when my wife won tickets on Follow the Packers. Oh, we went up to see. Uh, Brett was still playing. We went up and saw. Uh, they were playing the Patriots. We lost 34 to 3, I believe. Uh, <laughs> Favre got hurt, and Rodgers went in and ended up, that was the first time he played in a real game, and he broke his leg. I remember, remember that, right, yeah. And my wife was not a Packers fan until she won the tickets and followed the Packers, so. <laughs> That was years ago, and she is more livid about watching the games now than I am. Well, see, there, there you go. We, we brought them around. Absolutely. Um, Brad writes um, on Facebook Live, the second year Favre came back to Lambeau as a Viking. He fell down on the last play of the game, and the crowd erupted, but he got back up, and I swear you could hear a pin drop in that place. He fires it into the end zone and puts it into the second row of the seats. The crowd would have blown the roof off the place if it had a roof. Loudest I have ever heard Lambo. Absolutely. 414-799-1620. Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Best sporting um, event you've ever been to? Well, it's not really a sporting event, but uh, it's sports entertainment. Wrestling. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was downtown in Milwaukee back in 96, I believe, for King of the Ring. Okay. And the birth of Austin 316. I, um... I don't know if I have they had more than one King of the Ring in Milwaukee. I, and the reason I say that is I went to one of those, and the reason I know is because we were like we, we had they had folding chairs, and if you I, I was sitting up close, and you got to take the folding chair home. I still have my King of the Ring folding chair, so that might have been ninety six, or it might have been before that. I don't remember. Actually, I believe it, they've only had King of the Ring once. Then, then we were there too. <laughs> yep. And then they have like some smaller pay per views, but I right. haven't watched wrestling in years. I, I haven't, but 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 yeah, that's no. That, I mean, see, I'm okay. I, I like to consider myself a Renaissance guy. I I, I like the symphony. I have been to the ballet. Um, but yeah, bring, bring on All Star Wrestling or the WWE or the WWF. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Bob in Delafield. Bob, good morning. You're six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Bob. Uh, the Ice Bowl. Okay, really? Now everybody says they were at the Ice Bowl. Were you really there? I, I was there with my uncle and his son, my cousin, and my brother, and my dad, and my other brother were also there. The only ones from my family was there was my mother and my sister. Okay, <laughs> how old were you at the time? Uh, I was seventeen. All right, all right. And the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that I can remember from that was, uh, of course, you know all the highlights from the game and whatever. And only one person died. But going home four hours through the restaurants was like a morgue. <laughs> people, people laying in the aisles. It was unbelievable. Wow, it's it, it, it's just incredible. I and again, I, I I was at Summerfest the night George Carlin got arrested. That that's true. I was not at the Ice Bowl. The first Packers game I ever went to though was the week. Before it was a game at County Stadium um, when they played the Los Angeles Rams. Um, yeah, I, I 
I was there. That's one of the, I, I, I. That's about as cold. I was like ten years old, and you're out in the right field bleachers um, at County Stadium, and the only place to go to get warm in Old County Stadium was the the bathrooms. And Lord knows, I, I always felt bad if you had to go to the bathroom and actually use it for something other than the heating station. I think you were kind of lost. Uh, Bill writes, 1976 Daytona 500. Petty and Person Pearson crash to the finish. Uh, Ethan Wright's World Series, Royals, and Indians. Let's talk to Larry in Caledonia. Larry, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I was at the uh, Wisconsin Fieldhouse, and Michigan State was playing Wisconsin. Right. And Wisconsin beat Michigan State, and that was the last uh, loss for Michigan State before they beat uh, Indiana State and Larry Bird. That, that was the Magic Johnson. That was the that was the Magic Johnson Larry Bird thing, right? Well, well yeah, but, right, yeah. Right. Magic Johnson played for Michigan. So that was the Magic Johnson years. Yeah, great culture, also. Right, right, yeah. Uh, that would have been never. I never saw him play in uh, person. Let's talk to Sheila in Greendale. Sheila, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Hi, good morning. Okay, most memorable sporting event. We were at the 2011 NFC Championship game when the Packers beat the Bears at Soldier Field. <laughs> okay. Second row seats, and we also ended up being part of the um, Packers DVD from that season. The NFL Network caught us, my husband and I, at the game, so we are forever a part <laughs> of Packers history. I, I assume that you were dressed fully decked out in, in Packers gear and things like that. Fully decked out, yes, indeed. <laughs> Were the fans giving you a hard time? <laughs> you know, I have to say that the people that we were sitting by, we actually had a, a Bears fan season tickets for that game. Okay. And the people around us were all Bears fans. They were actually the nicest people. Um, <laughs> it got to be close to the end of the fourth quarter, and they were all leaving. And as they walked by, we were getting hugs and congratulations on a game well played. Because that was—I'm trying to think—the Packers. That was like a twenty-one to seven game or something like that, yeah. as I'm recalling. Yeah. Um, they ended up um, with their third quarterback. Okay. Going into the game. Yes. Well, that's see, that's nice. I, I will tell you, it, it's like a. If, if I'm a fan of the team and I'm and we're in some other team's arena or stadium or whatever, there's no better feeling in the world than watching people head for the exits, you know, five minutes early because you know you're beating that other team. That, that's very cool. Um, let's talk to let's see Helena in Milwaukee. You're on uh, six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Thank you, Jeff, for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Uh, my favorite memory is the 1982 playoff World Series with the Brewers. Okay. I was a single mom, and my youngest son was an avid, avid baseball fan, as I was. And so uh, when it looked like they were going to go, I, it was at that time you had to uh, go for a lottery. Right. So I, so I sent in for the lottery, and lo and behold, I got two tickets, and we got right behind the third base uh, side. Right. And I'll, I'll never forget it for each, each of us, for the whole set of tickets for the playoffs, and the World Series, it was ninety three dollars a piece <laughs> for the for the whole. See, I I did for the this, whole thing. I, you know, it, I did the same thing. I mean, I remember applying for the lottery. I got those tickets as well, and um, 
I, I think I gave away some of the World Series tickets to friends, but I, I went to all three of the games, the, the American League Championship games, and I, I would I would take the bus. I lived downtown at the time. I'd take the bus out, and I was on this bus with all these California Angels fans, and they were so cocky. They they, they won the first two games. <laughs> they were sure that they were going to win, and then sure. you know the Brewers that 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 final. I mean, the Saturday game, I remember there was this huge rain delay, and it was cold, yes. and it was miserable. Yes. Right. And it, we were there for hours yep. and hours and hours. <laughs> yes. They ran out of beer. They ran out of peanuts. Right. <laughs> they ran out of everything. <laughs> right. It was It was very – no, thank you. Thank, see, we, uh, it was very cool. And actually, you know, they went on to lose the World Series to the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, I, I just have – I have much fonder memories of that, that American League championship thing, and I, I think if I were putting together my highlight reel, one of the ones would be that, that Sunday game. I am sorry. We are out of time. Um, I'm just, again, our text line is exploding. Emails are exploding. 67 Rose Bowl, seeing my son play for the state title. Packers beating the 49ers for the NFC championship. Warren Spahn, no hitter. Um, absolutely. Um, but a lot of great stuff there. Um, Facebook Live, it's it's up there, so you can go back and you can c- continue the discussion there and continue to participate. Um, always a lot of fun. And I guess if you're going to any of the NCAA tournament games, whether you're following the Badgers or my Marquette team or you're going to the games locally, I, I hope you get a chance to see one of those spectacular games. That's what live sports is all about. It's 1155, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ on our text line. So many great texts. I was seated not far from Bud Selig at that All-Star game when the umpires explained to him that neither team had any pitchers left. Priceless. Yes, that's that's always one of the legendary pictures about Bud Selig, kind of, kind of shrugging his shoulders. I was at County Stadium when Rick Manning hit the game-winning hit, and Paul Molitor was on deck, and the hitting streak ended. Katie says she was 12 at the time. Huh. Scafidi, Bill Stat, Steve, Eric. Hello. Hello. What do we got coming up on the big show? Well, March Madness kicks off today, obviously in Milwaukee at the Bradley Center. That part's cool. But one of the things we're going to talk about is the impact on companies when all their employees are paying attention to March Madness <laughs> versus doing the work. Estimated $2 billion of losses on this day. So we're going to try to make it easier for those companies to deal with that. <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> there you go. $2 billion bucks. I don't know if I'd buy that. That's a lot. Yeah. That seems a little overstated, doesn't it? Well, I guess the question is about the people that sit at their computers and like live stream all those things and all. But it's not my worry because I'm done in about like 15 seconds, <laughs> you and can so watch it all. I can, I can. Uh, but I'm going to be listening to you guys instead. Of so there that's, you go. That you got to have your priorities. Um, I am out of time. I am back 8:30 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. Hey, it's up to 42 degrees. Spring is coming. Enjoy your Thursday. Scafidi and Bill Stat coming right up after the news. It's 11:59. Jeff Wagner, 6:20 WTMJ.